Hey everybody, welcome to the Second Pot Podcast. This is Caleb Spiker here with... Serena Wolf. And we are attacking and caffeinating our way through the morning. You ready? Let's do it. Feeling kind of sleepy, really in alert. You know, today our reading was from John 14. Okay. And uh, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. And I'm like, now look, I just harped on like uh, the fallacy of subordination within the Trinity. Yep. What does that passage even mean? I'm excited to find out because I'm going to get to the bottom of that. Do it. Yeah. Do it. So these are the questions that I love it when people answer or ask. I also love it when people answer them. What are you going to do? Yeah. All right. So, Pastor Caleb, uh, I keep an eye out on this little online site called Firebrand Magazine at firebrand.com, firebrandmag.com, yeah. right? Yeah, our, uh, our friends at Spirit and Truth, their publication. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. My mentor, the Reverend Dr. David Watson, is on the editing board, mm-hmm. the editorial board. Uh, and I see that you had a article, an article published Went out, did it go, it went out today, right? It did. Yeah. 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 Now, I mean, it, it, not the day that this podcast is being released, but the day right. that we're recording it. Right. Yep. Yep. The, the, the day we are recording this, it is Tuesday, May 25th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, let's see here, on the 13th, uh, I was driving home and had the idea, so made myself a voice memo, uh, talked through it. Uh, the next day, sent sort of an abstract to the editorial board, mm-hmm. then wrote it up, edited it over this weekend, and bada bang, bada boom, article there it published. Goes. Yep. Yeah. So why don't why don't you share a little bit about uh, that article? Yeah, it was um, a good one. So for people like me who grew up in the '90s in um, in evangelical, I mean, I grew up in an evangelical United Methodist church, but if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church or, you know, a Missouri Synod Lutheran church or, um, you know. Uh, Can I just say that I am thankful that there were evangelical United Methodist churches? I know there still are. I know there are, but. Yeah. Um, you know, we kind of had this, this shared experience um, that in a lot of ways was good, right? So we don't want to just tear it down and say that, you know, we were led astray as children. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, there's a feature to the sort of evangelicalism that was popular in the late 90s and early 2000s um, that really sort of embraced this political turn that we've seen come full circle in the last decade. Um, 
there was this deep belief that we can make the world more Christian through the political process. And as a result, oftentimes we got deep into the weeds of sort of behavioral politics um, and we turned Christianity into what I would call um, therapeutic moral Jesusism, um, where what Christianity does is its function is to make you a better member of the Republican Party <laughs> yeah. um, and make you a, uh, a better uh, a better adherer to um, you know conservative Christian moral standards to shape you with a Christian worldview yes yeah yep yeah, so so I mean, if 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 you were like me, um, you know, coming of age in the late '90s, early 2000s, you know, you almost certainly, um, you know, went to, you know, Worldview Weekends, read Worldview Warriors, right? Like Worldview was a big sort of thing, um, and by Worldview, you know, we meant this, or you know, what was meant wasn't you know, capital O Orthodox Christianity, right. but instead this sort of uh, framework of um, a particular moral and political vision for, um, for a citizen of the United States. And for people who are listening, those of us that um, came of age before the late 90s, um, I mean this started well before then, right? Like you can see this happening. You can actually see it sort of beginning um, in the 70s as um, evangelical churches pushed back against... Um, the sexual revolution. Yeah. And yeah. before that's, you know, the civil rights movement. Um, but then in the 80s, especially I think around like 84, you have this takeover, right, mm. um, in, you know... Baptist churches. There weren't a lot of non-doms, non-denominationals then. I don't think. Yeah, it was starting. Yeah, um, but I mean non-denominational. Yeah, the Baptists Baptist. hadn't started calling themselves non-denominational. Right. Um, so I mean, just you know, to affirm those who are listening, going, wait a minute, that wasn't just the late '90s. You are correct. It wasn't. Yeah. It started in the mid '80s, uh, but progressively, I mean, brought us to a point where you know, in like '97. My Baptist pastor said, you know, if you're voting Democrat, or it, like, you can't be a Christian and vote Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's, uh, so, so basically this is kind of the framework in the, with, with, that I grew up in, um, this sort of late 90s turn of the millennia evangelicalism. And... Um, like the vast majority, it appears, of people my age, I found it to be not all that life-giving. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we've essentially seen like three kind of paths for those of us, well, I'll, I'll say four, four paths for those of us who grew up 
in, in this sort of era. Um, you have those who are ex-evangelical nuns, and by this, I don't mean they were habits and they're Catholic <laughs> now. I mean, they are non-religious practitioners. Right. So they have left religion entirely. Organized religion. Left organized religion entirely, yes. Um, then you have another stream uh, where you have like ex-evangelical progressive Christians um, who have thrown out orthodoxy, like capital O orthodoxy, mm-hmm. with, with the tossing away of the excesses of that sort of 90s evangelical vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's still Christian in name, um, but they're... And I don't even want to say that all progressive Christians this is true for, but in general, progressive, like ex-evangelical progressive Christianity doesn't put much of an emphasis, if any, in holding to any historic Christian beliefs. Um, If you say I'm a progressive Christian, my immediate response in my head, and this may be unfair, is, oh, you don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. That okay. tends to be one of the things that gets tossed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, these are sort of two reactions that have um, went away from um, historic Christianity in what we would consider a political left way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have one that has veered off of historic Christianity in a politically right way, right? Like it has been the full embrace of this to the point of this sort of Christian nationalist thing, which doesn't need God either, right? right. Where, where you have uh, full trust in the state being able to bring salvation, and when the state goes left, you freak out and you storm the Capitol, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Anytime you embrace violence, you are not embracing the way of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, and I think there are some people who are my age and who just embrace it, right? Like, like what they grew up with has worked for them and they're happy with it. And, um, you know, they are kind of still in that, that, that stream. Yeah. But for me, like it didn't work, right? Like the, um, getting worked up about um, how long ago the dinosaurs were here, oh my Lord. getting worked up about, um, you know, whether a politician is, you know, conservative or, or, or progressive, right? Like getting, like getting, like putting hope in the political process to bring about a more Christian nation, you know, like, yeah, I just, I, I flatly reject that as, as feasible. Um, but, you know, in this sort of period where, you know, I knew that what I grew up with wasn't going to, you know, it, it just, it, it wasn't satisfying, um, you know, what, you know, would work for me from a truth standpoint. Um, you know, like, 
like it would not have been hard for me to find myself in that. Um, you know, I, I was like, because I didn't believe in the political process, I was never going to go Christian nationalist, mm-hmm. um, you know, that sort of route. Um, but you know, I, I, I very easily could have found myself in that sort of, um, you know, I mean, I, I probably in the nun category, honestly, right? Like, like I don't think I would have stopped in progressive Christianity because it's like once you give away um, the the centrality of of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no point in stopping, right? Well, and this is something that I appreciated that you pointed out in your article, right? Like you talked about um, this growth in in intellectual virtue, right? Yeah. Like, to me, we have 2,000 years of teaching from the church that Jesus died on a cross, was buried in a tomb, descended into hell, and was physically resurrected, all of that to make atonement for our fallenness, bring us into relationship with God. Like, once you give those things up, I don't know in what sense you can actually call yourself a Christian. Like, that's just not what a Christian is. Um, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'm kind of in this, this sort of formational time in my life where it, like, it would have been easy just to jump on the pendulum as it swung into non-religious belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was fortunate uh, to have a couple things happen like in successional order. Um, you know, the first being uh, having Dr. Sean Graves, well, he wasn't a doctor at the time, he was just a professor, but he got his doctorate sort of, you know, in the midst of while I was there. Um, he was getting his PhD uh, in philosophy, you know, emphasis on epistemology from the University of Rochester at the time. Okay, those are big words. So. Epistemology, it is the... Um, it is the study of how we know what we know. Which is just very, so meta. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so like his, his, uh, his doctoral work was on, um, you know, trying to make sense of how equally intelligent people who are equally sincere, who have the same evidence, don't come to the same conclusion. Right, like, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Because if people are rational, that should be impossible. There's the problem. Okay, um, you know, so so how do we make sense of these biases? And you know, it's like it was it was fascinating, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I grew to absolutely love this idea of intellectual virtue. Um, that there are ways to think that are inherently more virtuous than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the features of that that really sort of stuck with me um, is this idea that it is not intellectually virtuous to prioritize and privilege my personal experience to the exclusion of the experience in the data brought by others. Um, so, 
like going back, well, going forward in a little bit, we're going to talk about this, um, this, this idea of, you know, speaking in tongues, mm-hmm. right? I've never spoken in tongues. I've never interpreted tongues. It would be intellectually bite. It would be an intellectual vice for me to say, because it's not happened to me, it, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Like an intellectually virtuous approach to that says, well, it hasn't happened to me and I have to take that seriously. But I also have to receive and accept into the evidence basket, you know, these testimonies of others who've experienced it. Um, like I can't just assume that they are insincere, unintelligent people. Right. Um, and the opposite would then be true, correct? So if you did speak in tongues, but, you know, there's lots of data to show that Christians, by and large, don't. Like, you have to take that into account as well. You have to... It, it The virtuous response is to have some degree of doubt mm-hmm. and, you know, not allow that experience to be completely authoritative. Which is really, really hard for when things really, really matter. Yeah. Like... like looking at the ordination of women, like I know this is not, I know that this is not in the stream of, of traditional Orthodox Christianity. Uh, I still think it's right, but it is secondary. I can't believe I just said that. You are going to lose your feminist card. <laughs> okay. And if you don't lose it today, you'll lose it here in a couple of weeks when you tell everyone that Paul's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love me, the um, Apostle Paul. But anyway, so, you know, so I was kind of having this, this season of my life where I was being deeply shaped by, by this picture of intellectual virtue and what it means to, to hear, hear new evidence charitably to hold the evidence that has shaped me to this point with humility and to, you know, sincerely kind of weigh all those things together. So I, so this is fascinating to me, and I thought about this while I was reading your article, because I know where you went and did your undergrad. Yes. You were at Cedarville, was it college or university? It was university at the time. Okay. Yep. Um, and Cedarville was part of the General Association of Regular Baptists, which was like, my home church, yep. people didn't really do what you're talking about very well in general within the regular Baptist circles. There's a reason why the year after I graduated, Cedarville canceled the philosophy program oh. and fired Sean and Dave. And yeah, that's awful. It is. It's very awful. Like the. I mean, it's 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 why I am uh, a, a an expatriate of my of my alma mater. Yeah. Because it's just like like they have they they committed the unforgivable sin. Like they gave up on intellectual virtue. Well, and I, I how did your classmates respond to these lectures? Did they struggle, or do you think this was like a niche for the kids who didn't fit in in college to kind of f- come together? So, 
so yeah, and I mean, you know, there are a lot of ex-evangelicals in that sort of philosophy program because I think it's it, it's a two-parter, right? Like, um, you know, this, um, you know, being shaped by this desire for intellectual virtue set me up for what happened next. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I had done something other than what I did, you know, I may have gone some other way. But um, at United, it was there that in a... Um, it, it was there that I really first sort of encountered the creeds and the great tradition um, and was able to study church history um, and discovered that what I thought was orthodoxy, this sort of worldview thing, is at best like lowercase o orthodoxy. Yeah. Right? It, it doesn't capture the fullness of what we mean when we talk about orthodox Christian faith historically. Yeah. Um, Man, like United's church history, like the history profs at United are just top notch. Now you didn't have the same. Well, you would have had. I had Scott Kisker. Kisker. Okay. Did you have anyone else? Um, I for the first history, like my first history section. Man, it's terrible. I can't remember who it was. Um, Clearly. Uh, today's energy drink is not doing it for you either. Well, I took them out of sequence, which is part of the problem. Mm, okay. So I had Church History 2 before Church History 1. And yeah. it was Church History 1, which was much more shaping because yeah. it's like, yeah. it's like, wait, 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 mm-hmm. wait. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is what the church has always been about. Right. Like, like it's like we've never been about this embrace of, you know, when we're being faithful, at least we've never been about this embrace of these very culturally formed, sophisticated, you know, worldview pieces. The church throughout time and space has been in this faithfulness project of tearing the heart of the gospel back and bringing it to the forefront. Um, and I mean, that does, like, this is this is what we see in the letters of the Apostle Paul, of St. Paul, right? Yep. Like, it, it's what we see in the writing of St. Athanasius. It's what we see in Martin Luther nailing 95 exactly. theses. It's what we see in John Wesley taking the 40 articles of religion of the Anglican Church and only giving us 24. Um <laughs> You know, but it but is, I mean, yeah. there is a there is some sense in which worldview is almost the correct u- word to use, right? Like for Paul, the gospel seeps into every part of your life, right? This is not limited to, and he's able to articulate it based upon the cultural understandings of people of his day, right? Like at mm. Mars, Mars Hill, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's like, hey, mm-hmm. you're very religious. I see your unknown God. Let me tell you who it is. Like, <laughs> I love mm-hmm. that. Um, 
now I can't remember where I was going. So, oh, worldview, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that we are wrong to think that the Christian quote-unquote culture is going to be static across time and space, um, with the exception that, like, whatever is whatever idol is currently being lifted up by culture is not worshipped by Christians. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, if we're going to embrace some of the, um, the work of those in, you know, parallel Christian traditions, the Jesuits and their process of casuistry is really helpful, right? Like, to say, like, let's stop thinking in generalities and think more in specifics, so rather than when we have something saying, well, this is like this, obviously, and just going with it, instead, we can say, no, 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 we have this essential tool bag to help us make sense of the world that we're in. We don't just have to say, well, this is like this thing which we dealt with yesterday. Mm-hmm. But no, this is a new thing in and of itself that we have this this toolkit that we have in the creeds, that we have in the great tradition, that we have in, in, um, in primitive Christianity that we can use to make sense of everything that comes down the pike. I wonder if that's what uh, has gotten Pope Francis into trouble sometimes. Because he's our first Jesuit Pope, right? Mm, is he Jesuit? I thought so. I don't know. I assumed he was Franciscan since he took the name Francis. <laughs> nope. I'm pretty sure he's Jesuit. But I could be wrong. I'm not a Catholic. Nor am I. I love my Catholic brothers and sisters. I love the Catholic Church, but I'm not one. Anyway, yeah. sorry to derail. I was just, you know, like, we, we aren't going to, like... In some sense, that's right, right? Like, how do we witness to the gospel in our current culture? Um, unfortunately, yeah, because evangelicalism is a failure, right? Let's 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 call a spade a spade. Like evangelicalism is, if we're talking about Bevington's quadrilateral, it's great, right? Like, you want to go through? Yeah. What so that is? Uh, Bevington, you know years ago was asked to define evangelicalism and it is a commitment to mission a commitment to a high christology focused on the cross um, a commitment to the scripture and a high view of the scripture and a it's what's the last one which which ones have I done already? Yeah, I I was thinking about scripture and then lost my train too. Uh, yeah. Daggone it! Well, while you're looking that up, let me just say that like evangelical Christianity is not purely Protestant. There are evangelical like like this is not a Protestant phenomenon. It's true. So, I mean, in this this is this is the problem. Right, like, so in in this last election cycle, a quarter of Muslims who voted for Donald Trump self-identify as evangelicals. 
Like, yeah. I mean, that doesn't compute. You know, when Ligonier ran their study on evangelicalism, 30% of self-identified evangelicals denied that Jesus was divine. Like, this, this, is, this is a problem. Oh, yeah, the last one is uh, the need for conversion. Oh, my gosh. You know, yeah, duh. duh, of course, yeah. <laughs> the, the need for repentance, the need for conversion, the need to, you know, make uh, uh, intentional change of life. So and- high view of Scripture, super high view of Jesus, desire for missions, then, you know, need for conversion and repentance. And under that definition, I think you and I would both Heck fall yeah. into that. Oh, like, definitely. This yep. is what Christianity is about. I am a 19th century evangelical, <laughs> but yeah. not so much a 21st century because the definition has changed. Well, like we've, we have, um, you know, this, this sort of development of it away from the, because I mean, evangelicalism was, it was a reclaiming of primitive religion from fundamentalism. Right. Right. So it was, you know, let's, let's boil it back down to what's truly important. You know, let's, and, you know, and, and the same thing has happened, right? Like it's added too much extra fluff and garbage that distorts and makes the gospel messy and difficult to understand. Um, and yeah, I mean, we need, uh, you know, Methodism, Reformed Anglicanism, Lutheranism, and the Protestant Revolution, Reformed Catholicism, you know, Evangelicalism, Reformed, or yeah, Evangelicalism, Reformed Fundamentalism. And, you know, like a- as this new denomination is starting, if we just embrace Evangelicalism as it's handed to us, like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. What are we Ugh. doing if, if we don't take this opportunity to reform it and to get back to the heart of the gospel, to get back to um, to redemption Jesus, and holiness, get back to holiness, yeah. get yeah. back to you know an empty tomb. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing? Your message this past weekend was really good with that, right? Like. Oh, I, that was two days ago. I can't remember. Okay, okay. <laughs> I think it was this past weekend where you talked about like, this is it. This is it, folks. This is what the gospel is, um, and this is who the gospel's for. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, like, think about it. So, so the day of Pentecost, right? Holy Spirit comes down. Disciples start speaking in all different tongues. They're heard by different people in their own language. Peter gets up to explain what's happening. And what are the first words out of his mouth? Jesus is Lord. Yeah. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. You killed him, but death couldn't hold him. He came back. He is risen. He is Lord. This is the first word of the church. Yep. Go forward to 1 Corinthians and Paul is saying, I leave to you of first importance that which was given to me. Jesus suffered, Jesus died, and he rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. He is risen from the dead, he is Lord. Like, if our gospel presentation doesn't revolve around the central claim of our faith, 
Uh, Jesus is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? What are we doing? Well, and I mean, evangelicalism was tied to the political powers that be, at least in the United States, and that has been its downfall, right? Like, the Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, is what was meant in the early church, right? Jesus is Lord, and the U.S. W government is not. is not. McCain is not. Right. Romney is not. Trump is not. Republicans are not. Democrats are not. Libertarians are not. Likewise, right? like, Obama, Biden. Yeah, absolutely. Clinton, Gore. Absolutely. They are not. Lord they are of. not Lord. And you can't, you know, you can't tie the gospel to a political movement in the in the partisan like sense of the democratic structure, the republic, the democratic structure of the republic of the United States of America. And he, herein lies the problem with progressive Christianity: is it has taken the 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 broken sort of worldview of turn of the millennia evangelicalism. And it's just swung it to the other side yep. of, the, of the spectrum. Absolutely. Right? We still think that we can fix things through the political process. Yep. We still think we can coercively bring about a better kingdom, or if you're on the left, kingdom. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. That was me. Um, right? Like, and it's, it's like, no, 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 no. I mean, no. Jesus absolutely no. was a political f- figure in the sense that the gospel is political because it restores us into relationships and but jesus does not coercively change rome exactly he dies on a roman cross yep his defeat of the empire is not through getting christians elected into the roman senate yep it's Christians going into the Colosseum getting eaten by lions. Yep. Right? Like, like the politics of Christianity is submission and suffering. Yeah. Follow me and die. Take up your cross. That, my friends, is the prosperity gospel. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and I think the ex-evangelical thing is interesting, um, I don't think the ex-evangelical thing, I mean, nothing happens in a vacuum, right? But I think about millennials, right? Like there are plenty of Gen Xers who are ex-evangelical. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because something, go ahead. Yeah, but you guys don't like telling the world on Twitter about it. <laughs> because we just don't care. <laughs> you, are, you are a much more private generation. Well, no, we're not private. We're ignored, and we've just accepted the fact that neither boomers nor millennials seem to acknowledge our existence. Like, what is this trend of geriatric millennials? No, baby, there's no geriatric millennials. You're, you're, oh, anyway. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, Gen X came of age before 9-11, in, in child development, there is a stage of you know, intellectual development where your thinking is concrete, right? Like you have to get there, where everything is black and white because you can't function any other way because you are not intellectually prepared to step outside of that. 
I think that that type of thinking worked okay in our world before 9-11. But, well, because the world was safe and you could think in black and white, right? But you put 9-11 on top of the sexual revolution and things are not cut and dry anymore, right? Like, you're not safe in America, not that you've ever been, but now, like, the threat feels well, and, more and real. And now there's a pandemic, right? right? Like, um, And so, you know, it's like the thinking that worked really was intellectually stunted thinking. Like, I, I can't help but think that spiritually we don't develop kind of like, you know, our intellectual capacity does in normal development among humans, right? Like, for me, the Baptist church was great when spiritually I was an adolescent, right? And I needed some clear-cut thinking. But the minute I started having hard questions about the world, there were no good answers. Um, the first openly gay professor I had in college, I, I actually thought she was incredibly brave. She came out to our class. I'm like, I know what that risk is like, because I know what it's like to say you're a Christian, right? <laughs> like, I get this. Um, but there was no, like, I mentioned that to somebody in the church choir, and it was just like, that's awful. She shouldn't be a professor. Professors shouldn't be saying stuff like that in their class. Like, there was no acknowledgement that the world is not this black and white, and it's not, like, she is a lesbian and a good person. Go figure, right? Like... <laughs> It, yeah. Now, Serena, here you go saying someone's a good person. Whatever happened to everyone's bad? Oh, you know what I mean. She's a sinner just like the rest of us. But like, like she's... But she's kind, she's right? Like, kind. Like there yes. is... Like, Compassion. There are... Like people have the capacity to be virtuous. Yes, absolutely. Even if there are things about them that do not jive with... Right. You know... This, yes, you can you can be virtuous and and still a sinner. Like, it's fine. I mean, I hope so. Yeah, um, <laughs> or we're doomed. But you know, she was compassionate, uh, considerate, accepting. Like all these things that I saw in people in my church that I didn't find as readily. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that part of this is the breakdown of that black and white 1950s worldview that people want to cling to in the face of change that stopped working. Like we needed to change and we didn't. Like we needed a new way of being Christians in the world. And the tradition at that point was so wedded to the political structure that they couldn't provide it. You know, that's, and, that's my philosophy. And I wonder if, you know, I wonder if part of it is, you know, just the way the experience of war has changed. Mm. Um, because, I mean, you can see this, like, progression in the American superhero mm. getting darker and darker and darker and less and less heroic. Like, and it's it's always juxtaposed with, you know, major military conflicts in the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. Like Superman, pre and post Vietnam, radically different characters. Yeah. Batman, pre and post war in Iraq, radically different characters. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, so I, I think there is this this sense that, you know, in 1943, the enemy was obvious. Mm-hmm. They wore uniforms. Uh-huh. In 1957, the enemy was still mostly wearing uniforms. In Vietnam, the enemy stopped wearing uniforms. Right. So frightening. So awful. Right? Like, the this rise of, um, you know, instead of being afraid of the Russians bombing us, we're afraid of individual groups of, you know, terrorists. Who may or may not be Americans, by the who way. Who may or may not right? be Americans, right. who may or may not have, you know, religious convictions. Yep. You know, so yeah, it's like the the world is a, um, and all of this at the same time, while a worldwide media network is being formed so that instantaneously you know that something has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, like it, it is a, it is a different world um, that requires greater intellectual virtue. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, getting back to evangelicals, like, I get this, right? Like, millennials forget that Gen X existed. Like, we saw this coming, right? Like, this started before you came of age. Um, I don't want to, I don't really like the generation game because I'd like to think because that Because you would lose. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Because Some here I am stuck in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, but I, well, but I also see that the generational game has been really damaging, right? Mm. Like you, you talk about Gen X, like look at our name, right? Like what's that? Um, millennials sound hopeful. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't want, but there is a sense that each generation faces its own challenge and has its own way of thinking. Um, and unfortunately, with us living longer, I think is really all of it. Um, with the way World War II played out, um, yeah, I think that people who maybe should have passed the torch to the next generation, um, not that not that when you are an older adult, you don't have things to say because you absolutely do, but you've got to start trusting the generation below you know, the coming generation to pick up and fight the good fight. And I don't think that trust was ever there. And I, I think we see that perpetuated in the church. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, like... So it's no wonder like look that... At, uh, look at the, the caucus groups in Methodism, yeah. right? Like, it is people near retirement, and they're scrambling and finding people in, the, in their 30s. Yeah. Right? Um, oh, it makes me sad. I mean, like, we, we just, like, we are electing people who are 10 years past retirement age to be president mm-hmm. right now. Like, mm-hmm. let's wrap our head around that. Like, they're, But we're living longer, right? Like, there is a dilemma here, right? Like, the odds of me living to 90 are not bad. Uh, why should I stop working at 65 if I'm going to live to 90? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. 
25 years of sitting around doing nothing productive for society? <laughs> right? Like, uh, but how do you stay involved and pass the torch, right? Like, there's not been a good, a good way to do that. Well, and I think also there is a little bit of, um, there's fear from those who are older that sure. that all of the work that they've done and the strategies they've employed, the next generation won't embrace and keep it going. And, you know... Right? Like, because yeah. my sense is that, you know, whereas um, the majority of baby boomers I know are pretty set politically... Mm-hmm. And just continue to move towards the polls. Mm-hmm. I think your generation's different, right? Like, like I think there there are um, there are a whole lot of people in that you know forty five to fifty five sort of group, yeah, um, who find themselves politically homeless because they're like, I don't want to race towards either one of these polls, right? You know, yeah. Well, and so this is funny too, like, so the strategies I employed to get through life to this point, I know won't work for my daughter. This is a different world. And I, my goal is to raise her with her, both of them, with the ability to navigate their world in a way that is faithful to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like that's not going to look like what it did for me, and that's okay, right? Like it, at some point we have to start trusting each other in that. Um, well, and yeah. I and I think it changes what we emphasize. Yeah. Right. Like if we assume that what worked for us will work for them, then we get really bogged down in the details. Mm-hmm. If we assume that the world is going to continue changing and they need to be innovative, mm-hmm. then we get really focused on principles. Mm-hmm. We get really focused on, you know, essentials, on process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's different. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. But all that to say, like, the ex-evangelical phenomenon did not happen in a vacuum. Like, I think there's no. a reason that it's, you know, primarily millennials. Gen X doesn't, it's not that we don't care. We care deeply. We're just jaded and we're sick of other people not caring. And we'll just sit back and care on our own. Thanks. Well, and, and I think what, um, you know, what more conservative, orthodox, traditional, evangelical, whatever modifier you want to give it, um, you know, church going Christian type people, like what we are wise to understand is that ex-evangelicalism is not a problem of the academy, right? It's not that progressivism is just this powerfully compelling vision that just, you know, there's nothing that our poor little sheep going out into the big bad pasture of you know, the ivory tower, you know, there's just nothing they could do. Like the problem is 
critical race theory or the problem is deconstruction or the problem is this problem set. The problem is that we didn't preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. We didn't give people my age the process, the framework, the principles, the essentials to navigate the world. Yeah. Um, so because we tied, you know, Christianity to this uh, political movement that, you know, has lots of problems, most people my age threw out the baby with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. um, we're incapable of of getting past this, you know, warmongering Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to wonder if um, if the non-denominational movement wasn't Gen X's answer the way that the exvangelical movement has been hmm. has been part of the millennial answer. Anyway. Oh, no, I always assumed that uh, the whole non-denominational thing was just changing the name. <laughs> you know, I mean, because you don't want to you don't want to keep the baggage. Right? Right? Uh-oh. We're here in the Trinity studio and there I believe is a Solomon Spiker <laughs> trying to knocking on the door. You know what that means. I think it's time to uh, take a break and we'll come back with the energy drink. That sounds great. I'm super excited about this week's drink. Oh, you're telling me. You're telling me. This is this is our first uh, PepsiCo uh, energy drink. Yeah. And I have an affinity for Pepsi products over and above Coke products and RC Cola products and whatever else. So, yeah, the, the whole idea of having some Mountain Dew Rise Energy this morning has me downright giddy. I, I saw this in the cooler and thought, there's a drink that Caleb will appreciate. So, so I'm not going to lie. Like my, the likelihood of confirmation bias scoring this really high is really high. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, you know. You're you're a loyal fan of the Mountain Dew. It's just so good. Yeah. So this is Orange so Breeze. Good. They had like Berry Blast and Blueberry Pomegranate and all these energy drink flavors are really girly. Now, yes. That may not be a PC thing to say anymore. I don't know. Energy drinks don't really have gender. I understand this, but... Do any of us have gender in 2021, <laughs> Serena? Let's open these. Do Smells so good. Oh, yeah. Oh, tastes just like a soda. So, I can't hardly believe I'm going to say this. I'm going to score this 0.1 below C4. I think C4 is just a little bit better. C4 was the dictator of the energy drink, wasn't it? No, no, no. no? That was okay. uh, that was oh, the gosh. adrenaline shock. No, 
Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, the yeah, adrenaline yeah. shock grapefruit. Okay, that yep. was just like, I kill your taste buds. The taste buds that survive, they love me. Yeah. They love me. <laughs> yes, yes. Wow, so slightly below C four though, huh? I mean, like. The C4 was just a really good orange soda. Yeah, it, it really this was. This is a slightly less good orange soda. It doesn't, like, if it if they just made it regular Mountain Dew with extra caffeine, it would win. But mm. I um, mean, I think it's got some Mountain Dew edge to it. Like, it's a, it's a little Mountain Dew-esque. It is good, though. Man. Actually, no. Second sip, I may change my, yeah. It's right. It's, gosh, this is good. It is good. Um, this is really good. But it has, uh, it has more sugar. Mm. So we'll, we will, we will still give C4 the edge because all of its sugar is fake. But it this has, has a little real sugar. It has three grams of sugar. And do you know why it has that? Because it actually contains a little juice. juice, real juice, a little grape juice. Yeah. Little orange juice, and so um, I can get behind it having a little bit of sugar to have something that resembles a naturally occurring food. Well, yeah. I mean, naturally occurring food. Uh, you know what I'm saying. So you're saying this actually does satisfy this whole thirty thing that that, that my wife and I are on. I mean, because it has juice in it. It's it's just it's just grape juice, a little orange juice. It, the first two. Ingredients, carbonated water, white grape juice concentrate, concentrated orange juice. Uh, I, those are the big three. That those sounds Whole30 three. to me. I don't hey. know what Whole30 is. But hey, we'll count it. Okay. Hey, the first Whole30 energy drink, it's delicious. Way <laughs> to go, Mountain Dew Rise. Mm-hmm. This one says immune support. Oh, uh, so it has vitamins too. Oh, the people at PepsiCo never cease to amaze. What do you think we've been drinking this whole time? They all have vitamins. They have caffeine and they have vitamin B. This one happens yeah, this to have zinc. Some, this one has some C, some D, some zinc. I think they all usually have C as well. But the, yeah, this one has zinc, so there's your immune support. And then it says mental boost. Pantothenic acid, Serena? Pantothenic acid. I, I, I don't know what that is. Neither do I. Okay, but you're excited. But they have it. <laughs> I love this. Uh, something that I can't pronounce and caffeine in combination have been shown to help improve attention. Yeah. That's where they're getting their mental boost from. Again, now that I have been assessed and told, yes, I actually do have ADHD, I think I can be the judge of whether or not this will provide a mental boost. Because if it can't provide a mental boost to me, I think that it's not going to be able to provide a mental boost to anyone, really. Like, if it, if it can't help me, what good is it to anyone? I mean, 
that is a very 21st century way of looking at the world, right? Like, <laughs> what, what benefit is anything if it's not a benefit for me? But let's assume that I represent a subsection of people who need mental boost, right? If I am representative of a group of people who look at this and go, mental boost, yes, please, and then do not experience it, like... Yeah. Serena, I want you to take this as the compliment that is meant oh, to be. Oh, this will be good. I'm excited. Let's hear it. It is not appropriate to assume that you are an accurate representation of a subset of anyone. <laughs> you are You are one of a kind. Uh okay. Just, just know that it. I have been told that before, but it wasn't a compliment. So, well, you, you know. know, it's all a matter of perspective. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> all right, I'm going to give this a hard eight. I really like this. It's it's a I, nine point five. Yeah, I guess right up there with C four. I can't remember what I gave C4. I, I think I scored it pretty high, though. Maybe I'm being too harsh on the Mountain Dew Rise. It's possible that this, on the spectrum of energy oh, drinks, man. is actually a 10. This is really good. It, the more I drink it, the more I like it. Yeah, man. And it's full it, of juice and vitamins <laughs> and all these good things that are for you. And, I mean, it is only 25 calories per serving. I, I'm, I'm down. If my drink delivers the caffeine, tastes delicious, and gives me three grams of sugar and 25 calories, like, I'll drink this It has fewer calories than a clementine. There a you clementine. go. A clementine. See? Clementines are basically water. And sugar. And, and sugar. I mean, naturally occurring. Yeah, you know. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you just replace one of the clementines in your diet with a can of Mountain Dew rice. Speaking of weird diet things, so last night I was mouth hungry. You know mouth hungry. Like I don't know When what you that aren't means. actually hungry, but your mouth says, put something in me, you're hungry. Oh, that's when I chew gum. Go ahead. Yeah, so I uh, grabbed a bag of carrots, like the baby carrots, and I'm like, yeah, I'll just, you know, chew on a few. My mouth will get the, get the hint and, you know, I'll be done. Um, 20 minutes later, I had eaten an entire bag of baby carrots. And I don't mean a small bag. I mean like a like regular like 24-ounce bag of baby carrots. It's a lot of baby carrots. It is. I can I have x-ray vision right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah, because aren't crunchy foods supposed to like help curb that nonsense feeling of hunger? That's what I was told. Well, you know what it is. It's you're doing this whole thirty thing. You know, a pound and a half of carrots later, and uh, I was just looking for more carrots. It's because you're doing the whole thirty thing. I'm not it's... doing it well though. Oh, like, okay. Well, like I cheat a lot. Like it's really more like a like a. Three quarters, 22 at this point. You know, I think any diet plan, though, like, unless you are dieting because, and when I say diet, I mean, like, restricting 
foods you eat, right? Yeah. Like I'm, this doesn't necessarily mean weight loss. If you are changing your diet because you have a medical condition that requires it, right? Like if you are watching your sugar, if you are lactose intolerant or gluten, uh, yeah, yeah, celiac, you know, gluten free. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, that's one thing. But if you are otherwise healthy, I say uh, just be smart, right? Like don't cut out entire food groups. Well, I mean, the it's it's more for like the uh, like the mental challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know the the willpower, you know, developing that part of your person, you which know, in the past I was able to develop, and now it's like three days in, it's like, oh, there's a cookie. <laughs> so I guess I would rather uh, work on developing my mental person by like like um, this summer. I am starting to train for a half marathon. If I can do that, I can do anything. So even better than training for the half marathon would be running it without training. No, thank you. No, no, no. Believe me. So there is, um, there is a researcher out west. He's at University of New Mexico, I believe, um, and. He uh, he talks about this this annual physical challenge, and he says like it's it is it's the best thing he's ever done. He's done it for like the last thirty years, and every year he picks something that's physically demanding happens outside. Um, he says there are two rules. It has to be hard. Mm-hmm. Which means there's a fifty percent chance of failure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the second thing is he can't die doing it. Okay, that's that's those are smart rules. So, yeah, he's like you know, so he's, like running a marathon could be it, but not if you've been training, right? Like if you ran right. if you ran twenty two miles a week ago, like running twenty six, like there's not a fifty percent chance of failure. Yeah. You know. But I think that the chance of failure in this is actually not sticking to training, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, So it's extended. Yes, yeah. because I'm sure you've noticed, because people who know me know this, I don't have a whole lot of self-discipline. I've Routine, never noticed that. I know. Routine? Blah! It's so boring. Um, yeah. So if I stick to it, that, like, I have more than a 50% chance of failure in training, I believe. <laughs> I believe my, my, I believe there is a 75% likelihood that I will not be ready to run 13 miles by the fall. So I'm not sure what this has to do with energy drinks. No, we're we're just talking about personal betterment now because this is the power of Mountain Dew Rise. It <laughs> makes you a better person. Man. <laughs> Mental boost, immune support. I tell you what, there have been multiple companies that we've drank their product and I've thought this is pretty good, but there has been none that I've wanted to sell out to more than PepsiCo and Mountain Dew Rise. Here's Mountain Dew people, call my people. Here's the thing. Uh, of all the companies, they are probably the least that are looking for people to sell out. I know. Isn't Unless that you're like, you know. 
unless I had, you know, a Twitch account that like a hundred thousand people watched me play World of Warcraft. I'm not on Did Twitch. I, Are you on Twitch? I, I don't know. I, 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 do I probably know? got that reference wrong. Like I'm not on Twitch. Okay. I, I'm not even entirely sure what Twitch is. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that is the app that people watch other people play video games on, not like the, the weird dating app, which I, I think know. has a similar name. It could be. I know my 10-year-old That likes... might have been really embarrassing. Someone listening who's like actually pays attention to these things may be like, what is going on with that weirdo? Yeah. If there are 100,000 people watching you on what you think they're watching you on, so you got a problem. listeners, I'm asking for a friend. Can anyone tell me what Twitch is? Okay. Anyway. Because <laughs> I have a friend who needs to know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't really I, need to know. I'll, my, I'll just keep using the reference incorrectly. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. My 10-year-old watches gamers on YouTube. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so like when we were kids... Right? Like, you'd go over to your friend's house, and occasionally you'd watch them play video games. And it's like, eh, come on, let me play. This sucks. Mm-hmm. But it's like, kids nowadays, like, they will spend hours watching other people playing video games and just, like, enjoy it. And I don't understand it. But Lucy employs what she learns. So, like, she likes to watch people who play, like, Minecraft so that she can get some pointers, right? Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I I don't know that it's entertainment only. I'm sure some of it is. So my kids watch videos of people playing roller coaster tycoon and like blowing stuff up with roller coasters and trains and stuff. Well, I mean which that's is just entertaining. entertaining. Yes, yeah. that is. Wait yeah. until they actually start playing. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, uh, I since you. Probably don't have a Twitch account. I know you're not on TikTok. No, I refuse to give my data to the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'll anyway. get it some other way. They will. But they will. Yeah. There's a TikToker I like um, that Tyler and Maya turned me on to, and he does these videos, tips from the ER, and they're really funny. He's a nurse. Mm. Um, and he was talking about the COVID vaccine and like, there is no microchip in there. If the government wants to track you, they'll use your phone data. I was like, yes, thank you. Our colleague uh, Dan Metzger has a TikTok where he sings songs while he drives his girls into school and just embarrasses the living daylights out of them. That's amazing. That's what a great idea. Yeah. So he'll like take a, a popular song and he'll rewrite the lyrics. <laughs> In a way that, you know, embarrasses the girls in the back seat. And he'll sing it loud with his phone like this. And the people listening can't see me dancing and holding my They can't. That's really up. too bad. But it's, uh, yeah. I'll have to check that out. I, uh, I can't do anything like that because I can't embarrass my daughters. Because when I start doing stupid things, like singing and dancing, they just do it with me. Whether we're in public or in private, it it doesn't work. They They've don't. They've discovered how to neutralize. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, Pastor Serena, um, one of the questions this week in our mailbag was put in the offering plate, 
it was not a uh, email and it was a it was an offering plate question it was actually the offering plate question that i made reference to during the sermon i'm like Ooh. this is I don't, I'm not going to share this with you guys because you may think you could ask hard question, questions this hard too. Um, and the question was, why do we no longer speak in tongues like they did in the book of Acts? Mm. Mm. I love that question. Um, so first off, you know what I love most about that is that um, somebody is beginning to get the drift that maybe the things that happened in Acts should be normal for the church today, mm-hmm. which I would say, yes. Um, I am not a cessationist. Me neither. I know since cessationists who still pray for God to heal people, which doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> So, Serena, you may want to uh, explain what a cessationist uh, is. Yes, sorry. Um, a cessationist is someone who believes that signs and wonders were given to the apostles so that the church could be established. But since the death of the final apostle, um, which I don't know which apostle died last, um, signs and wonders are no longer I think necessary. Traditionally, we believe it's St. John. Thank but you. I could be incorrect about that. Well, you. Thank you. You, you are more correct than. The nonsense answer I would probably give. Um, But once the church was established and once the canon of scripture was formed, um, there were no further reasons for signs and wonders, uh, is what a cessationist believes. That is highly problematic to me because uh, not all people have access to a Bible in their native tongue. And even people who do have access to a Bible may not be able to read. So, um, yeah, I totally don't buy that God has stopped performing signs and wonders. Okay, so tongues. Um, so first off, like in Acts, when, when the Holy Spirit falls and it's Pentecost, the dis- like Peter is proclaiming the gospel, and everyone there hears the gospel being proclaimed in their native tongue. So I don't know what happened, but like in my head, it could be a couple of things, right? Like it could be that um, God, the Holy Spirit, supernaturally empowered the disciples to preach in a language that they did not know. Like Mm -hmm. if I just started preaching in Russian, Russian, right? Um, It could be that the disciples were speaking their native language, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the people around them just understood what they were saying as if they were speaking in that person's native tongue. Or it could be that they were speaking some type of gibberish that was then supernaturally uh, translated, right? I, I think... I think I mean, and this is this is completely off the rails, and I'm sorry for getting us off topic this quickly, but no, you're not. Like, different languages don't have the same rules of grammar. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's what you yep. know. So, I could sort of fake like kindergarten Spanish, mm-hmm. but I can't speak Spanish like an adult person. Mm-hmm. Either like 
Spanish that's spoken in Spain or Spanish that's spoken in Latin America. Which are two, which, which are different, not the same. different yeah. Spanishes, right? Um, like I can sort of fake like kindergarten Spanish. Mm-hmm. But from the sounds of it, like. Yeah, that's not what was happening. Yeah, this then. is like, oh, these are people who are legitimately speaking my language in a yeah. way that is articulate and understandable. But aren't these backwards fishermen from Galilee? Exactly. Like, what is going on here? So. Exactly. Um, so here's my opinion on this. I think that people do speak in tongues today. Um, first off, like I think some of this happens because people are now learning different languages, right? Like that is a form of speaking in tongues. And it could be that God has gifted you in the ability to pick up a language quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So by the time I was done with high school, four years of Spanish, I did not have to take any more Spanish at any college I went to. That, I mean, that that was like a natural ability that I didn't give myself, right? Like that's Mm. just how I was wired. And then when I went to Cuba, like for some ridiculous reason, a lot of the Spanish that I learned to speak even though I hadn't studied much of any since, I suddenly remembered, right? Mm. So I was able to communicate on a very, like you, like toddler level, but enough that people somewhat understood me. Okay, so there's that. Uh, so do you know how I got through high school Spanish class? Oh no, I don't. Connie Kern, absolute saint. Um, I had her for Spanish three and we were getting to the point where like it was getting hard and she would give me partial credit for writing the English word with an O on the end. And if it wasn't for her giving me partial credit for the English word with an O on the end, there is no way I pass Spanish three in high school. Could you explain why you would put an O or maybe sometimes hopefully an A on the end? Because a lot of English words are Latin derivatives. And I had a 50% chance of if I just used the word that I used in English with either an O or an A on the end, that it would be right. And if it wasn't right, she was kind. (laughs) So if I were your teacher, I would be like, no points given. If you had said, because I understand that in the Spanish language, as with other languages, uh, nouns are given quote-unquote gender, which really just means that a masculine ma- noun typically ends in O and a feminine noun typically ends in A, and then you have to use the correct article. And so if I make an English word like lunch into luncho and put L in front of it, I'm at least acknowledging that that's a different language. Um, I'd give you maybe half a point for that. But based upon your answer, I'd give you zero points. Okay. Oh. Like I said, Connie Kern's a saint. Yeah. So Connie Streve now. She's married now, but when I had her, she was. I had a lovely woman for four years with Spanish in high school. Incredibly blessed, especially given that I'm from a podunk town. In, well, yeah, a podunk town in southeast Ohio. Uh, my Spanish speaker, my Spanish speaker, my Spanish teacher. I have trouble with English. Spanish, no problem. My Spanish teacher... Uh, was like legit bilingual, hmm. Senora Reckenbach. 
and she was an adjunct professor at OU. Hmm. So when I was in high school and I took an OU class my junior year, we were reading La Dama del, de la Alba, I think is the name of the book. I don't remember anything else about it, but I'm sitting in the hallway outside my communications class and I'm reading this book, waiting for class to you know open up and begin. And uh, another student comes up to me and says, oh, you know, are you in Spanish? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no. Oh, do you, do you just speak Spanish? I'm like, no, I'm reading this for my high school class. And like, they walked away and didn't speak to me the rest of the quarter. Anyway, um, she was. You, you outed yourself as a weirdo. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But she was a superior teacher. Got to be one of the best. I had a, anyway. Okay. Uh, okay, so back to tongues. So yes. there's So there's the innate ability that God gives some people to just pick up on languages easily. Um, there is also, I have witnessed, um, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. So like... John Glossolalia. Yeah, I am. I am. You want to explain what that is to our listeners? Yeah. Glossolalia, as best as I understand it, is a divine language that folks, some are gifted to speak and others are gifted to understand. Um, and as far as I know, I have neither of those gifts. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because um, people who speak in tongues in this sense, uh, you know, Pentecostal charismatic folks, um, like they do all have like a some similar pat. Like there's always this like K sound and a K, uh, that, you know, they make weird noises. Um, so I have heard people do this, but I have never witnessed an interpreter that I'm like, okay, so that's legit, right? Mm. Except for once. So I was attending a charismatic church with a family um, that I lived with for a brief time while I was in college. And uh, she was a strong Christian woman, and he was an atheist. But, you know, out of love for his wife and out of finding the charismatic worship service intensely entertaining, um, this gentleman would run sound at the church. So one weekend, I'm back in the sound booth with him, and uh, somebody starts speaking in tongues, and he's like, is that person okay? I'm like, yeah, dude, it's, you know, they're just speaking in tongues. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, they're speaking in tongues. He's like, well, no, they, no, they're speaking in English, and they just keep saying the same thing over and over and over, and I wish they'd stop. And I'm like, no, dude. They're speaking in tongues. You're hearing English. Welcome to the Holy Spirit. And I mean, dude freaked out and became a Christian because of it. I mean, and I think this is this is part of it, right? Like the the supernatural acts of the Holy Spirit, whether it is healing or you know divine languages or you know words of prophecy or whatever. Um, more often than not, we see them designed to invite people into the community, to give people a place at the table. Um, you know, we look at who Jesus heals in the New Testament, mm -hmm. and oftentimes it is tied to restoring them to the capacity to worship with the community, um, restoring them to the, to the capacity to participate in the beloved community. Um, 
so yeah, like it does not surprise me that that is like where you saw it, right? Yeah. Where it is, it is, you know, the Holy Spirit making an intentional move to invite someone who's outside, inside, yep. to experience transformation and yep. experience community. Yeah, yeah. And I, it was funny because he was always like, hey, if God gives me a sign that he's real, I'll believe. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I love, I love that. Like, I love that God has a sense of humor. Like mm. that, that was so funny to me. Um, messed him up, but you know. Uh, so anyway, um, I believe that speaking in tongues does still happen. I don't think we can know for certain exactly what is meant by the spoken tongues in scripture. I don't know if it's what the charismatic people do like i don't know if that's the scriptural thing i know paul mentions you know speaking in the tongues of angels i don't know what that means no. um but yeah i think they do uh we at trinity are not highly charismatic i have raised my hands in a couple of hymns a few times i don't know what people think of that but i sit in the front row so i, I don't know if, if people looked at me weird uh we clap sometimes which is good and I've heard an occasional amen, which is great. Yeah, um, yeah and I mean, I think like like a lot of churches, we have people, you know, across the spectrum. Yeah. You know, we have some people who are rather charismatic and some people who are cessationist, right? Like we are. Yeah. Um, we have diversity there, which have, I, I don't think is a bad thing. No, we have a couple of saints that I would say like, you know, pretty into Christian mysticism. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's fine. It's not always my cup of tea, but yeah. So yeah, what a great question. But I think the bigger thing is, is that the experiences we see the church having in Acts should show us what um, we should consider normative hmm. and formational in Christian life, which is frightening either if it is happening i mean that weirds me out a little when it does right but it also weirds me out if it isn't happening mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah great question it is and uh more questions i hope will come in yeah we are um actually going to start passing an offering plate soon at trinity which is exciting because that's a piece of worship that i've missed mm-hmm Mm -hmm. I might give electronically, but just like putting just even the connection card in the plate, like acknowledging that I'm here. And yeah, anyway, I'm super excited about that. So hopefully more questions will come in. And uh, if they don't come in through the offering plate, if a listener wants to send in questions, they can always do that. You can send your questions to Second Pot Podcast at GC Trinity. Ooh, you know what? Uh, yeah, it's not podcast. It's not it's podcast. Just pot it is just Trinity. Second Pot. Yeah. Oh my gosh! I made this email address. What's my problem? The Mountain Dew Rise. The Mountain Dew Rise did not, not give me a mental boost. Yeah. Um, how about yeah? How so let's about try it again. So second pot at gctrinity.org yeah. for questions. Yeah. And we've gotten some questions in, um, and some of them are already shaping the summer preaching series. Um, exciting. We're going to have uh, a week where we're talking about. 
um, the proper role of women in the church and the household codes and whether or not Paul was a misogynistic jerk or not. Um, we're going to have a week where we're talking about the problem of evil and suffering and you know why, uh, why do we see suffering happen in our world and what does it mean that Jesus suffered for us um, and, and more, right? So keep, keep it coming. And, you know, this is like, so preaching through the creeds was difficult. Um, like preaching through these pressing questions might be harder. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think it's, you know, especially after this year where a lot of our assumptions have been turned on their heads, mm-hmm. um, having the chance to uh, voice stuff that's nagging, um, I think is going to be really helpful. And, you know, we'll have these, uh, you know, these Sunday learning times together and contemplation times. We'll have the Tuesday night Bible study where we'll have a chance to dig even deeper. Um, you know, we'll still have the podcast doing its thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and, and I think part of, uh, growing in maturity is not just finding answers to questions, but learning how to ask better questions. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun season, I think. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that first Sunday in June and our cookout together. Um, we're gonna eat food together together it's gonna be wild we're gonna we're gonna hug each other i mean if you're vaccinated like if you're not vaccinated or if you're immunocompromised and you are not comfortable hugging please don't hug or if you just don't like hugs right like no one is forced to hug anyone which which except me i probably have to hug people because that's just kind of expected but everyone else if you don't want to hug people don't yeah you know, and I don't for a mind long hugging, time, so. I was anti-hug. My dear friend Paul will tell you when his father died, I did not hug him. Hmm. Now, I didn't even think of it because I didn't like hugs. Then I went to Cuba, and people <laughs> hugged me everywhere I turned. So when I got back to, to America after 10 days in Cuba, I'm like, why aren't you hugging me? Aren't you happy to see me? Hmm. Anyway, so I'm, I'm actually excited that we can hug each other again. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been a great time together. Uh, friends, we pray that you stay in love with Jesus, stay caffeinated, and we will see you next time. Put a second pot on.